Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome home. If this is your first time at the Aligned Self Podcast, welcome to the family. This just so happens to be the 50th episode. It seemed just like yesterday when I began this podcast back in April, April 16th, made the intuitive decision to strike off on my own. I was a co-host of another podcast. I don't even think I have any episodes left there. They've all been removed. But uh, I decided that this was uh, where I wanted to be, to have my own conversation, to develop my own tribe. And I'm thankful for your listening ear, where we have conversations that make a difference, conversations in consciousness, conscious awareness, mind mastery, subconscious mind, how to program the subconscious mind. We also talk about spirituality and intuition. In fact, I started this podcast uh, with several episodes all about intuition. And I thought that number 50, it would be appropriate to talk a little bit about my spiritual path and my spiritual unfoldment. You see, coming up very soon on September 3rd is what I consider to be my spiritual birthday. It's not the date I was saved, but it was the date that I was awakened. There was a burst of spiritual energy unleashed in my body, unleashed through my mind, and it was like a fire that burned through me. And I'm going to relay a little bit about that story. Some of the details aren't all that important, Uh, They're just uh, idiosyncratic to my experience. And as I discuss this, understand that each and every one of you has your own spiritual unfoldment, your own set of spiritual experiences, and by no means compare yourself to mine, but just use mine as a reference about what's possible, about uh, any similarities that you may have experienced or that... Um, like the circumstances, the details will be different, but some of the realizations, some of the understandings will be universal. Now, my spiritual life took place early on. Uh, my uncle was a Presbyterian minister. My dad frequently read from the Bible uh, to us, and we read the Bible. I went to vacation Bible school. I went to you know, Bible competitions, Bible reading competitions. Which, if you're not from the from that realm, uh, is where you raise your hand over your head with your Bible, and they shout out a Bible verse, and the first one to look it up and read it out loud is the winner of that round. So I'm quite familiar with the Bible, and I often refer to it, even though today I don't specifically consider myself Christian by definition. I have a phenomenal relationship with Christ, Christ consciousness. But uh, the, what most people refer to as Christianity is uh, somewhat outdated for me, frankly, because of many of the other experiences that I've had since then. And like many of you that have gone through the Christian church and found yourself at odds with different teachings, different mindsets um, that arose out of organized religion and now call yourself spiritual, yet not religious— will probably know on some level that, like me, I had experiences at 9, 10, and in my early 20s, which uh, placed me at odds with organized religion. 
But I remember back at six, seven, eight, I had a profound love of God, a profound knowing and communication, a conversation with God. I would talk to God and God would speak back to me. Not always in words. Sometimes it came through in a word. Sometimes it came through, most of the time, it came through in an inner knowing. And I think that was the, the beginning of my intuitive unfoldment, was this communication, this conversation with God, and the expectation that uh, God, God is all that is, would answer. Now, I'll probably talk at some point in the future about my, I guess, my early experiences with Christianity, but let's just suffice it to say that I went through it, and I was exposed to it probably more so than some people, but not to the uh, the detriment of my spiritual life, but in many ways uh, augmented and, and expanded my spiritual understanding. And when I speak of God, God is all that is, um, I am attempting to circumvent uh, the word God as uh, a concept, because most people have a relationship with God, a relationship with the word, and I wanted to expand it, because I believe that if you have a concept of God in your head, it's way too small. So I use the term God, God is all that is to encompass everything, the points between here and there, and all the spaces in between, everything. But like I said earlier, I'm not definitively a Christian, according to um, the scripture. I am more of a, a Gnostic Christian. I have a, a knowing, a knowing relationship with Christ, Christ energy. And I see Jesus as one of the ascended masters, the ascended teachers, and not necessarily the savior of man, but an example for man, for mankind. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So just to backtrack a moment, back when I was six, seven, eight, um, I did have this knowing relationship with God. But in addition to, I guess, the the Christian teaching, my mother's mother um, opened up a, another door for me. She did fortunes. She uh, did playing cards, uh, readings, which I do today. But uh, she was psychic, and she studied with the Rosicrucians. And she had an understanding of the etheric realms that I had not seen or experienced in anyone else. So my grandmother was a clearing for me to accept that aspect in myself and to open up the idea that there was an expanded version of reality. Now, fast forward a couple years to uh, age 13, I was an awkward teenager, and uh, there was uh, when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see one a person that I really loved, that I really liked. Yet I had uh, two experiences, two interactions, two conversations with two different teachers at the time when I was 13 that uh, changed the course of my life. One of the teachers was actually my counselor, uh, Fred Smith. And he said to me two different things. The first thing he asked me was, who are you? Who are you, Daniel? And I'm like, what do you mean, who am I? I'm, I'm me. I'm me. No, no, no. Who are you? He's from Tennessee. There's a little bit of twang there. But I, I, I said, I don't, I don't know. He said, answer that question, and it may take you all your life. And it is today. Who are you? Answering that question of self-concept, self-identity, that I work with clients today. 
and it is the most profound work that I've done in the last 30 years. And I've worked with individuals in this realm of the aligned self and creating a self-identity from the inside out, from nothing, disregarding the past and building the person that you want to be. But I had no idea at the time when he asked me that, that it was going to shape my life in that regard. The other thing he said to me, Daniel, you have a lot of potential. I forget what I was doing. I was running from one class to the next, and I just kind of burst my way in his office, sat in a chair, and said, Hiya, Fred, what are you doing? And he laughed and said, Oh, my God, you have potential. And I said, What does that mean? What does that mean? He said, You know, someday keep doing it. You're going to be great someday. And it just didn't quite resonate with me. And then I got a paperback from Ms. Kittle, the English teacher, eighth grade English teacher. And at the top of it, it said, very Thoreau-like, because I talked about going away to the woods and living off the land. Uh, Grammar sucks, (laughs) but it shows lots of potential. And I said, there's that word again. And I asked her, what's potential? She says, you you know, if you you keep writing, keep working at it, you know, work on your grammar, uh, you'll be good someday. You've got potential. And it didn't quite resonate with me, didn't hit me in my bones. And uh, so I asked the question, and it is in in the book of Matthew, in the Bible, ask and you shall receive, knock and the door shall be open unto you. And uh, so I asked, what is potential? What is potential? Like I kept asking, asking, asking over and over again. In my head, it was like a question that was in the background of my mind. I asked my mother, I asked my dad. My dad just bought a, a set of encyclopedias at the time, so his his phrase, his answer for every question I asked from that point forward was, I don't know, let's look it up. And so we would go to the encyclopedias and look it up. And there was some physics example, destined, you know, the innate ability to do work. Or, um, it, again, it didn't resonate, didn't hit me. But I kept asking this question. And uh, I was in the library, which was a small library. I don't know, it was maybe 20 feet wide at the most. But someone put in a book on the other side and knocked a book out on my side. And I picked it up, I looked at it, and it was a, a man, the outstretched man, like uh, Leonardo da Vinci's man. It was in the psychedelic colors, and the name of the book was The Ultimate Athlete by George Leonard. And I said, this looks interesting, and I start flipping through it. And then suddenly I come to this paragraph, and it's, it's as if it rose up off the page. And it said, the ceiling to your potential is built the moment you say, I can't. And I shook. And I, in that moment, I had a burst of light move through my body in this aha moment. And I now call an aha moment a biochemical cascade event where everything is rewired. And after those events, after those connections, after those understandings, you are never, ever the same. But here it was. I was asking, asking you shall receive, knocking the door shall be open unto you. I kept asking, what is potential? What is potential? And the universe showed up to answer my question. So not only did I have my question answered, but I realized from that point forward that I could ask questions and I would get an answer from the divine. It was also at age 13 when I became interested in hypnosis. So I, I sent away, I had a, I had a, <laughs> I had a paper route and I made about $6 a month. And this book I wanted, this book I found on hypnosis, was six ninety five, 
So I had to work about eight weeks to get enough money for the book plus postage. But I can remember being so excited about earning the money because I was actually working towards something. So I sent away for this book, this mail order book, through the I think it was in the back of Popular Mechanics, and it was how to hypnotize people, animals, and women. I was particularly interested in hypnotizing women. And it wasn't until many, many years later when I realized that the title of the book didn't necessarily include women in the category of people. Uh, I think it was more of a marketing technique to draw your attention to young men or men in general to hypnotizing women. But that was where I got my first grounding in hypnosis, and I attempted to hypnotize my brothers, and uh, I'm the oldest of four boys, six kids in the family, but they quickly got bored with my uh, attempt at hypnotizing. And so I began turning to myself. I began hypnotizing myself and self-hypnosis, just taking myself deeper and deeper and deeper states of relaxation. And as a teenager, you know, I didn't have a whole lot going on. So it was easy to go into trance for an hour, three hours, for a long period of time and just be in this altered state of reality, an altered state of awareness. And while in these deep states of trance, I would have little visions and information, urgings come through that were undeniably not from me. Nothing too terribly relevatory at the time, but it was I, it was just information knowing that I was connected to a universal mind. And it was soon after that, I read the book, Think and Grow Rich. And it was one of the earlier editions where uh, Napoleon talked about auto-suggestion and the universal mind, the creative intelligence, the mastermind principle, the third intangible entity that's created whenever two or more minds come together in a common cause. And so it went. I became a magnet for different books, different information, sometimes snippets of ideas that would expand my mind, expand my understanding and my perception of an expanded reality, of the unseen reality. I also realized at this time that I had developed a skill that my grandmother also had, is that I had a knowing of what people had or their motivations or what their temperament was just from meeting them. I could make an assessment of them. And uh, very often I was spot on. I had a sixth sense about people and their intentions and their energy, their motivations, which over time would pan out to my original knowing. And sometimes I wouldn't pay attention to it. And I'd forge ahead anyways. And I could always look back and say, I knew it. I knew it on some level. But uh, as it would go in my early 20s, um, I was more interested in girls and going out and having fun, going dancing and hanging out than my spiritual unfoldment. I didn't really have a good example of what that looked like. And so I became more of a, a hobbyist, I guess, where it would come from time to time. If I had time, I would think about it or work on, on it. But uh, I didn't engage in trance all that much. Not until my I was about 25, and I had done the oh-so-serious thing, I, I got married. And I didn't know it at the time, and only knew so looking back on it, I got married for all the wrong reasons. But I won't go into the details now. All I'll say is that I, was, uh, I didn't have a good enough self-esteem to stand on my own two feet and say, this didn't work for me. 
I acquiesced and did what I thought I was supposed to do. I did what I thought other people wanted me to do. And looking back on it just a couple years later, I realized that I didn't have a grounded self-concept. I didn't know who I was. I hadn't chosen who I was or what I was going to stand for. So I would fall for anything. So now I think is a good time to say that um, your spiritual path isn't necessarily a collection of mysterious moments or mystical events and, uh, or you know, the introduction to esoteric knowledge. Sometimes it's just the realization of who you are and what your relationship is to reality and to yourself. I think that's one of the myths that intuitive guidance, spiritual guidance, occurs as some holy cow idea, some amazing epiphany. But in actuality, when I really look at it, it's a series of small whispers, small decisions, small urges that you have to follow like breadcrumbs. And the ultimate skill in really mastering your intuition, really connecting and building that rapport with your inner guidance is learning to trust the signals, trust the urgings, and listen when it's just a whisper, to follow the direction of a whisper. And something that happened for me when I was 18, you know, and I didn't realize that many, many years later, I ushered a declaration that altered the course of my life and began attracting to me synchronous events and books and people and teachings that would lead me to where I am now. I went to, I, w- I was selling vacuum cleaners door to door, and I went to a motivational uh, all day <laughs> event. It was a series of speakers that were speaking at Ford Auditorium in Detroit. And one of the speakers was Wayne Dyer. He had just written his book. In fact, he talked about selling his book out of the back of his car, out of his trunk. And I was totally fascinated with his stories. Other speakers on the docket were Zig Ziglar and Dennis Waitley, Victor Cavett. It was just a mind-blowing day of motivation and just possibility thinking. And I made the declaration that I was going to do that. I was going to get up on stage. I was going to be a speaker. I was going to write a book. I was going to be a teacher like that. And while not necessarily at the forefront of my mind, it was a tune that was playing underneath my consciousness and would guide me all the way. I had an opportunity to go to SMI. I went to Waco, Texas from Michigan when I was 19 for an invitation to preview a franchise opportunity. And Success Motivation Institute was very similar to Nightingale Conant, where they produced um, audio tapes and self and personal development programs. And while I did not take advantage of the franchise opportunity, it was an education. It was very inspiring. And part of the process, when I was just visualizing there at SMI, uh, they wanted me to name my company. And I said, uh, Human Design Engineering. I have no idea where that came from. But it was uh, 20 years later, one of the originators of Neuro Linguistic Programming, NLP, which I'm now certified, master certified, master trainer, but um, at the time, Bandler broke off from Grinder to create his own thing, and he called it Design Human Engineering. And that was confirmation that I was in the, con- I was in the etheric conversation. I was in the universal mind when I downloaded that. 
and that I have been in this conversation moving towards NLP, moving towards being a teacher, a hypnotherapist. And it just was part of my destiny once I declared that I wanted to be a teacher. That was at 19. Fast forward to 1988. At the beginning of the year, I was 27, looking forward to being 28 in the fall. But uh, the previous two years, I had gotten together with my best friend at the time, and every New Year's, we would talk about what we had accomplished the, the past year and what we wanted to accomplish the next year. And here it was on January 4th, 1988, and we met in the revolving restaurant high atop the Renaissance Center, which is now GM World Headquarters, downtown Detroit. And so this was a, a revolving restaurant. And we would see, you know, Windsor on one side and the Detroit River and then downtown Detroit as we rolled around and we drank. And we, we talked about what we were going to create. And I realized I had basically just taken the previous two years' intentions and moved them again into 1988, moved them because I hadn't made hardly any progress whatsoever. And I just kind of lamented and I said, I'm in a rut. And it was in that moment that I heard my professor, my sociology professor, Bill Cody, say, when you find your life in a rut, start a revolution with your life. And I said, that's it. I'll start a revolution. Revolution 88. I declared the year 1988 to be a revolution for my life. Now, there's a caveat here and a huge warning. Do not declare anything like that because it is like a sword with two edges. It will cut both ways and cut everything. Because at the time when I made that declaration, I had no respect for maintaining the ecology of my life. There's different structures in my life. So over the next year, I changed careers. I changed locations. I changed my marriage ended. Virtually every structure in my life disappeared, but I didn't much mind. Had I been in a different mindset, I could probably be upset, but I was in this revolution. I really, I, I guess ultimately I didn't care if anything remained. I just was curious about being all that I could be. But being in the mindset of the revolution, it was a week after I returned from that, that, uh, that meeting at the Renaissance Center. And I had continually been in this, like this conversation in my head. This is a revolution. I'm starting a revolution for my life. And I got an invitation in the mail. I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but it was to walk on burning hot coals in Detroit. I, at the time, I was living in Saginaw, Michigan, up at the crook of the thumb. If you're a Michigander, you know that you can raise your hand up and <laughs> point to your hand and show exactly where you live. Well, pretty close. But I'm like, walk on fire? Absolutely. I'm, this is a revolution. I'm starting a revolution for my life. So I asked my wife if she wanted to go with me, and she said, no way. <laughs> she didn't have a context for it. It was so far off her radar, so far off the, the realm of possibility for her, it was an absolute no. So I ended up going by myself. It was a Tony Robbins uh, event. He had charged, I think, $125, $130 for the firewalk itself. And then it was like $500 for the rest of the weekend. 
So I signed up just for the firewalk because I had already started studying NLP. So my, my only real experience of Tony was that one night where I walked on fire and frankly, I was scared to death. Now the promise was is you walk on fire and you do away with fear forever. And frankly, that's what I was after. I did not want to experience fear at all. So I went to the evening session and all with the intention of walking on hot coals. And it was the end of, I think the, I don't know, the end of January 20th or something like that, 30th. And it was cold. It was freezing in Detroit at that time. And we marched outside to the parking lot barefoot and they had built fires out there and uh, had the coals going. And I'm standing out there with my feet on the, the pavement thinking, my feet are cold. And then I got afraid. If I can feel the cold, then I can feel the heat. And so I started getting into state and going deeper and deeper and just like, yes, and uh, just altering my perception. And I don't even remember necessarily taking that first step. The, there was a girl that was at the front and uh, she said, you're ready. And she said, go. And I started walking and I could hear the crunching of the the ashes, crunching of the the coals under my feet, but I felt nothing, zero, nothing, no heat, no nothing. And I got to this side and I celebrated and yelled, and uh, and then someone sprayed my feet with a hose, make sure that I didn't have any hot coals between my toes. But I was a little let down about it. I thought I would have a more profound experience. I kind of discounted it. Because the very next day, I felt fear. And I thought, well, that didn't work. But it, it took me another uh, couple years to realize the full value of the experience. Um, that was when I walked on coals for the first time with another walker, another uh, firewalk teacher. It was at an NLP conference. And uh, this fire was really, really hot. And I realized that one of the problems with the first firewalk is that... Um, Somebody told me when to go. I didn't actually choose when to go. But then I also realized that I was in such a state of fear that I put myself in trance by yelling and putting my, you know, getting into state uh, before the firewalk in Detroit. I basically anesthetized my lower legs. I, I didn't feel anything. I, I couldn't even feel my feet touching the pavement. I could hear the crunch. And so what I asked for in this next firewalk was a greater awareness of the experience. Remember, ask and you shall receive. So this is a principle when you're talking to your other than conscious mind. You can ask your subconscious to participate with you and gift you awareness. Now, of course, I didn't want to burn. I wanted to appreciate the experience, but I wanted to walk across safely. I also wanted to decide when I was ready to go. So here I was standing before this, this bed of hot coals that had burned down from four feet of cordwood. And it had burned and burned for about three hours. And there was so much heat coming off this, this bed of coals that women's hair was blowing up like the wind. And there was no wind. It was just the heat rising from the coals. And so I stood there and I was almost told like to go to the back of the line because I was taking so long to take the first step, but I was aligning. And instead of saying or yelling out, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss, I was going to do my own thing. And <laughs> which I've had a lot of students do that since, but I got in alignment. And when he told me that to go to the end of the line, that's when I said, I'm going. And then I took the first step and I yelled, yes, 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 
Yes. And it was hot. I it, I could feel the heat, and but it wasn't burning. And I got to the other side, I wiped my feet, and they sprayed it off. And there was 45 people that walked that night. 22 people ended up in the emergency room with burns of some sort. But in that second walk, I realized the profound power of the firewalk is one deciding when you're ready to take the first step. I mean, once you see someone walk across the coals, you know it can be done. Once you do it, you know it can be done. It's knowing, like the real value in it, is knowing when your heart is aligned with your mind and your body. And I say that over and over again now. But it's knowing when that alignment is there and that you're prepared to take the first step. Because once you take the first step, you're going to walk to the other side, guaranteed. But the other thing, the other profound thing that happened after that fire walk is that I developed a massive migraine. Through the night, I had developed a horrible splitting headache. And when I say horrible, I literally thought I was going to die. I'd never felt anything like it before that or since. I couldn't lay down. I couldn't sit. I couldn't stand. It felt like I was going to throw up. It was, it was horrible. I had to immobilize my head so I didn't move it because if I moved it any which way, just a tiny bit, it felt like it was going to fall off. It felt like it was going to explode. I had two other friends that had attended the conference, and uh, we were all staying at my friend Linda's house, and Linda had gone to work. I was home by myself. I was at the house by myself. The other two guys, the other two people, um, Susan and Andrew, went to the, the conference by themselves. And I ended up calling Susan and saying, um, or asking, I need you to come back. I need you to run some, do some energy work on me. I just can't handle this. And she did the clearing, and she, she couldn't even put her hands in my energy field without it hurting my head. And she worked on me the better part of an hour. And finally, it cleared up. Finally, it, it passed. I had one of those headache hangovers where I felt spacey and just odd. But um, the worst of it was done. And looking back on it, I know that I left something. I released some pain, some trauma. But I had no idea what it was. But the firewalk of making that decision, moving, walking across on my own, was the catalyst for that. And I realized that certain events in our life can be catalysts for spiritual growth, spiritual healing. Now, I just want to point out that I did circumvent. I jumped over my Revolution 88. I actually jumped ahead to 1991. But I felt that the, the lessons learned from that second firewalk were very poignant and tied to my Revolution 88. It was obviously born out of that original declaration. So let me go back to 1988. This is like some weird sci-fi film moving back and forwards in time. But here I am in 1988. I, I did my first firewalk. I came across an ad for a flotation tank. So I did that. And then I decided that I was going to get certified in neurolinguistic programming. So, and, and this is probably going to freak some of you out. This was pre-internet. Um, I went to the back of Psychology Today, and there was some classified sections, and they had a couple NLP training events that were going on. And there were small classifieds. And I called up Eastern NLP, which is based in, in Princeton, actually Bucks County, Pennsylvania, but the trainings were taking place in Princeton. But I, I called him up, and without missing a beat, without even really talking to anybody, 
I paid two grand for the training. I ended up paying another two grand for the stay at the hotel because it was a 21 day immersion program. Frankly, in hindsight, it kind of blows my mind because without re any real investigation, I committed myself to the equivalent of $18,000 in today's money to a training and a month's worth of, of that I didn't even have the vacation or the time off for. Well, long story short, I got the time off. I worked it off. I actually had Fred Smith, the president of Federal Express, sign off on my leave without pay because the only way I could get it off is if I took it off with no pay because there wasn't enough room in the budget for me to actually take my vacation at that time. So not only did I take the training, I didn't even get paid for the time I was gone. And yes, the NLP training was transformative, but it was a person that I met there who talked about her guru. And I was intrigued. A, a guru? I want to know a guru. I, I was attracted to this idea of meeting a guru. And uh, she said, well, there's a celebration on uh, Labor Day. Um, if you can come back for that, there's the possibility that I can introduce you to the guru. And her guru was a woman. So the second week in August, I had left uh, Princeton and flown back to Michigan and uh, somewhat anticipating uh, going back to uh, meet this guru. And frankly, I had no idea what my experience was going to be. I just knew I had to be there. It was a compulsion, a driving need to meet this guru. I had no idea what the experience was going to be. So I arrived in Pennsylvania, and we made the drive up into New York to the ashram. And uh, I, again, the whole time, I had no idea what I was getting myself in for. And I don't remember all the details, but um, we, we arrived, and there was two long lines to get into the, the mandav, the outdoor, uh, I guess, sanctuary or temple. A big tent-like structure had polished cement floors and um the men all lined up in one way and the women all lined up in another line. And I can just remember being just very serene and centered standing in line. I was just in myself, curious about what was about to happen. I, I obviously built up a lot of expectation, yet I had no expectation. I just kind of knew something amazing was going to happen. And so we finally make our way into the, the Mandav, and I'm, I sit down in, in uh, cross-legged. Uh, <laughs> I've never sat that long cross-legged in my life uh, before or since. But there, there was about 3,000 people underneath this tented uh, arena. And this woman walked down the center of the ashram, the, the center of the temple. And there was just something magnetic about her. It was luminous, and I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And so we were there for, I think, I don't know, two hours, three hours, and there was a lot of chanting and singing, and there were some movie stars there, Felicia Rashad and other company. There was a talk. I forget exactly what went on, but I ended up meeting my friend. Uh, she met me in the middle, and we went in the Darshan line. And we waited our turn, and we went up. There's just a, a line of lots and lots of people, and they kind of all spread out around her one by one and knelt. And uh, she was just going, kind of adorning each head with uh, a big 
peacock plume or ostrich plume. And uh, <laughs> my friend comes in next to me, and I'm off to the guru's left. My friend says, Guru Mai, this is Daniel. He's from Michigan. And then Guru Mai looked at me and gave me very consternated look. It almost looked like a mean look. But it was amazing. Like the feeling that I had was just this unconditional love. I couldn't explain why my response was the response it was because she looked at me like she was really pissed. But she just kind of nodded, went on and and uh, kept adorning other people with her ostrich bloom. That was it. And then we got up and we left. And I said, that was interesting. That was on Monday, September 3rd. And I had flown back and arrived in Michigan the next day on Tuesday. And at the time I was sleeping on, uh, my, my wife and I were kind of estranged, so I was sleeping on a sofa bed. I'd fallen asleep and I had this sense of, uh, being in the Catskills, and the guru was like all around me. She filled the sky. And I, I know this is somewhat metaphorical, but as I'm driving through the, the Catskills, these two hands reached through the top of the car, grabbed me by the shirt, and yanked me up. And the next thing I know, I'm suspended in mid-space. Just my body's just outstretched. And then this big beam of light, this column of light, shoots down and hits me in the chest. It's like two feet wide, just boom, hits me in the chest. And the light shoots out of every cell of my body. And I'm in this complete ecstasy. My body is writhing. And I, can, like, I, I can't explain the amount of pleasure that I was feeling. And then in an instant, I was out of my body standing next to the bed, looking down at myself in bed, writhing as an observer. And I thought, whoa, that's interesting. Then I was back in my body, feeling that pleasure, and my body just couldn't stay still. And then I was out of my body again, standing at the end of the bed, looking at me, writhing in the bed. And it was this detached, kind of interesting observational position and then I was back in my body again, feeling all those feelings. The next thing I knew, I was up in the corner of the room, looking down on my body. That was a unique perspective. And my body was still writhing in ecstasy. And it was such a, a weird perspective. And then in an instant, I was back in my body, feeling all those feelings. And the next time I left my body, I shot straight through the roof and began flying through space. And as I th flew through space, I had this profound sense of being surrounded by unconditional love. It was like a knowing, a deep knowing that I was love and I was in a field of love. I was one with everything. The next morning I awoke, it was like, oh my God. At the time I thought, wow, what a strange dream. And my sheet was soaked. I was on that sleeping, that pull-out sleeper couch, and it had like a two-inch mattress on it. And that mattress was soaked all the way through. I had lost a lot of water weight. But I had this serene, pleasant feeling that would not leave. It wouldn't leave. 
and it was with me for a good two weeks. I think it was a week later, um, I was talking with my friend. I just kind of offhandedly said, you never believe the dream I had. And I told her the dream. And uh, she said, well, you just had a classic Shaktipat experience. I said, what? She said, that was a, a Shaktipat experience where that was the awakening of your Kundalini energy. I said, oh, <laughs> I had to look it up. I had to look up what it was about. Then I began reading about the Kundalini energy, and it was as if this spiritual energy took on a life of its own. I was awakened. My psychic ability was phenomenally better or more open than it had been previously. I had a lot of psychic experiences, the psychic moments. It was as if someone turned on the, the empathic ability full blast. It was overwhelming. I could not be in the presence of other people and not feel what they were feeling, not hear their stories, not feel their pain. And I had no idea so many people walk around in pain, emotional torment. They don't talk good to themselves. You guys don't talk good to yourself. But like I said, it was overwhelming. And I had to learn how to hone in my energy, how to create my boundaries. Where did I end and where did you begin? Because at the time, I had no conception. It was like I was wide open. But I had that experience and then several after that. And it took me the better part of 20 years after that experience to really put everything in perspective. I had a transpersonal experience. And what that means is it's the same as a near-death experience. When you leave your body, it could be an out-of-body experience. When you leave your body and you, your soul travels the universe, travels the ether, you have a realization, you have a knowing from that point forward that you are more than your body, that your body is more or less an illusion. The material world is an illusion. And you probably heard people say that and you think they're somewhat crazy, but uh, we are immersed in the human experience. We are a spiritual being immersed in the human experience. But the human experience, by and large, is an illusion. It's not the real reality. There is a greater reality. And that knowing, that knowing, to your bones knowing, changes everything. But like I said, it took me the next 20 years to kind of come to grips or grasp the full breadth of what I had gone through. I had gone through several teachers and went to you know books and different programs in an effort to understand it, to uh, harness my psychic ability, to harness my healing power, my healing energy. And those teachers, those, those lessons were instrumental in developing a very working, a good working relationship with psychic information, intuitive insight. Now, I have to admit, I have not told that story very many times. I may have told it on a podcast at one point uh, when I was a guest, but uh, by and large, I don't talk about this uh, all that often because it, it has the potential to, to kind of set myself up as somewhat special. But the truth is, this kind of experience is available to everyone at some point. It may not be that specific experience. And a lot of people contact me and say, I want to have an experience like you. Can you like, teach me how to have that? Frankly, I can teach you how to walk the path. 
I can teach you how to set up and connect to your psychic energy, how to follow the breadcrumbs. But it's really up to you to make it happen. It's up to you to get ready for you to receive that kind of experience. Like I said, I began like meditating deep trance states when I was in my teens. And I had done that off and on over time. And I also followed the breadcrumbs. And even though I look back at it at the time and that I got married for all the wrong reasons, I cannot believe or conceive of it not setting me up for the experiences that followed. So I had to go through that experience. I had to, I guess, follow my own truth at the time. And then even though I came back later and realized a deeper truth and more profound truth for myself. So maybe you won't meet a guru, but there's other ways to have that type of experience. I know people that have come to the end of their rope. They've lost their relationship. They lost their job. And they're just in this deep inquiry. And that inquiry wakes something up. My friend Linda had a nervous breakdown. She was in a lot of, under a lot of stress. And she ended up laying down at work and just didn't feel like she could cope. And she opened her eyes and she was surrounded by nine-foot angels. And she was healed. In that moment, she knew she was constantly going to be protected in one way or another. But like I said earlier in this conversation, beware the power of a declaration. Before you declare to have some type of experience like I had or something like it, do the groundwork. Do the fundamental work. Get yourself ready. Meditate. Learn how to connect with your intuition how to connect with that inner guidance. Because frankly, that inner guidance led me to that moment in time. I could not have arrived there rationally. You know, laying down the equivalent of $18,000 for a training that all I saw was a little classified, like a four-line classified ad in in the back of a magazine. No website, no conversation. I called the receptionist up and said, sign me up. She said, do you want to talk to Linda? She's the the program leader, I says, no, I'm in. And then I went through the NLP training and it transformed my life. And then I turned around and did the same thing the following year. And so in like within two years, I basically invested the equivalent of $40,000 in training that I had no idea how I was going to use at the time. It was not rational. I knew something on a deeper level. I knew something was possible for me. And making that phone call, making that That commitment has led me to this moment in time where you're listening to me now. Me being here right now, us having this conversation right now, you listening to this story, only happened because I followed my intuition. I followed my inner guidance. I followed my bliss. And I committed to have an epic life, not knowing exactly what that looked like, knowing that my intuition would inform me as I went along the journey. And that's why I started out this podcast uh, with a series on intuition, because I recognize there is no greater skill that you can possess than to be in touch with, have a rapport with, to trust your intuitive guidance, because it sets up the rest of your life, every other aspect of your life, every relationship, every career move, everything that I've ever done since has been guided by my intuition. Now, it didn't always turn out phenomenal, but I also had to look at how I was being when I manifested the next step. 
So I got responsible about my manifesting ability. But it is intuition that was the real force behind my life. And that's why I think it's so important that I put out this intuition course, the intuition course. It has the last 40, 50 years of experience in me building and guiding my intuition inside this course. And that's why I'm re-releasing the course on September 3rd, my spiritual birthday. And there is some bonuses going on right now to pre-register and you can learn more about it at yesdaniel.com backslash 50. The link is in the show notes, but uh, there you'll also find a short video training, the six steps to access your intuitive guidance. Now, these are the fundamental steps, and there's some work involved, but you can definitely develop it on your own, follow your own guidance. But if you don't want to do it by yourself, that's I'm created the intuition course, so we can do it together. So if you think you're interested, think you're at least curious, go ahead and go to yesdaniel.com backslash 50 and check it out. The sales page is there after the video, and uh, there's a definite benefit to getting involved early rather than later. I created this course in 2017 and uh, had several people go through it. Um, and then I put it on the, the mothballs. I put it on the, the back burner because, frankly, I was just involved in other things, other projects. And uh, I've been getting the urging for quite a while now that I needed to bring it back out. And the timing just seems to be right. The question is, is the timing right for you? If the timing feels right, this could be one of those moments of synchronicity where all the stars align and you're at the right place at the right time. So with that said, I'm going to leave you with the words, the words of wisdom given to me by Wayne Dyer when I asked for what's the best advice you can give me. He said, live your life from inner signals. He said, live your life from inner signals. And that is why I say at the end of every episode, follow your bliss and live the epic life. (laughs) 